everybody. Thanks so much for joining us today. I hope the content encourages you and helps you build your faith. Now enjoy the message. Matthew chapter 6, 25 through 27, pulling this from, this is the passage, it's the anchor passage that this is built upon, right? That this whole season, if the birds are eating, so am I. It's built on Matthew chapter 6, verse 26. Uh, but before we do that, let me give you a little bit of a background of Matthew 5, 6, and 7. It's been referred to as the Sermon on the Mount. It was Jesus's first sermon coming out of 40 days of trial. Catch this. The context of this is really important. It's strikingly ironic to where most of us find ourselves today. So Jesus, Matthew chapter 4, is coming out of 40 days of trial and temptation, and he comes out of there a man on fire. He is ready to see God move. He's ready to see the kingdom go forth on earth as it is in heaven. So he comes out, and he comes guns blazing, preaching the gospel of the kingdom. In fact, uh, Matthew chapter 4, guys, you don't have this back there, but uh, Matthew 4, let's see, I'll give you a little bit here. Uh, verse 17, okay? This is the setup for the Sermon on the Mount. Matthew 4, verse 17, it says, From then on, Jesus began to preach, Repent of your sins and turn to God, for the kingdom of heaven is near. He came out and he said, Listen up, repent, change your ways turn from, do different, make a transition in your mind, move a position, repent, and turn to the Lord for the kingdom of heaven is near. And then it says, Matthew 4, let's skip down to verse 23. Jesus traveled throughout the region of Galilee's in northern Israel, just wiping through there, preaching the gospel, healing the sick, doing a great work. And it says he was teaching in synagogues, announcing the good news about the kingdom. And he healed every kind of disease and illness. News about him spread far and wide, and people soon began bringing to him all who were sick. And whatever that sickness was or disease, or if they were demon-possessed or epileptic or paralyzed, he healed them all. Verse 25, large crowds began gathering. Matthew 5, verse 1, Jesus climbs up on a mountainside in Galilee in northern Israel, and he has a message. He's got a sermon boiling down in his spirit, and he starts preaching. The Sermon on the Mount is a kingdom message delivered by the king. It's kingdom principles. It's kingdom lifestyle. It is the kingdom sermon. It is contrary to culture. It was contrary to feeling. It was contrary to whatever was happening in that day and age. In fact, it was so contradictory to everything that was happening. It was so different. It was so counterculture that in Matthew 7, verse uh, 28, at the very end of the sermon, listen to this. It says, when Jesus had finished saying these things, Matthew 5, Matthew 6, Matthew 7, this sermon, when he had finished, the crowds were astonished at his teaching. They were blown away. They were astonished. They were caught off guard. It says, for he taught with real authority, unlike their teachers of religious law. So what should our reaction be? What should this Matthew chapter 6 passage elicit in us? It should astonish us. We should study Matthew chapter 6, 25 through 27 today and walk out of here astonished. 
walked out of here kind of blown away, caught off guard, like, oh my goodness, what can I apply? What can I change? What is God doing in me? It was the purpose of the message to usher in kingdom principles delivered by the king himself. Repent, the kingdom of God is at hand, and he preaches it. Let's pull from the very center of this message, Matthew 6, 25-27. He says, that is why I tell you, Anytime you see that in Scripture, when you're reading your Bible and you see that is why or therefore is another word, anytime you see that, it is referencing something prior. So if we go back a little bit, Matthew 6, 19-24, Jesus gives three illustrations of how we're supposed to live our life in allegiance to Him. The first one is store up for yourself treasures in heaven where moth and rust cannot destroy and thieves cannot break in and steal. For where your heart is, there your treasure will be also. So he goes right at their heart. He said, where your heart is, that's where your treasure is going to be. The next thing that he says just prior to this is the eye is the lamp of the body. If your eyes are good, your whole body will be filled with light. If your eyes are bad, your body will be filled with darkness. So he goes at the heart, he goes at the eyes, and then he finishes with no one can serve two masters. Either you will love one and hate the other or hate one and love the other. Man can't serve both God and Mammon, a word that meant money and more than money, material possessions. In other words, he's saying your eyes, your heart, and your mind, they have to be committed first to Jesus. And if they're not committed first, it is impossible to live a life of two different allegiances. Then he rolls in Matthew 6. Because my treasure is in heaven, because my eyes are filled with light, because my, I'm not serving two masters and I'm serving the Lord, because of those things, that is why I tell you not to worry about everyday life. Whether you had enough food and drink or enough clothes to wear, isn't life more than food and your body more than clothing? Here it is. Look at the birds of the air. They don't plant or harvest or store food in barns, for your heavenly Father feeds them. And aren't you far more valuable to Him than they are? Saying the birds are eating, so will you. If the birds are out there and the birds are eating and the birds have food, you're going to be fine because you're far more valuable than they are. Verse 27, it's the question we'll end with, can all your worries at a single moment to your life. Can everything that you're worried about right now, everything that you're checking daily on social media or the news, everything that you wake up with, sick to your stomach about, or go to sleep at night and can't fall asleep about, can any of those things add a single moment to your life. That word worry, I'm going to illustrate it for you. Uh, I'm not a huge car guy at all. Uh, they, they just don't impress me, never have been. I had a friend who asked me, he said, you mean to tell me, he's real into cars, he said, if, if I dropped a Porsche off in your driveway, you wouldn't be flipped out. I said, I would probably forget it was there by the morning. I would wake up, walk out, and be like, who parked in my driveway? Oh, wait, that was given to me. I, I don't know why, it's just not my thing. Um, however, there is one vehicle that has caught my attention 
Look at me. I'm preaching a message about not being wrapped up in material possessions, and now I'm telling you a material possession that I'm really excited about, right? Oh, see the irony. But it is, it, it, now, are you ready for this? I need to, I, I got to preface this by saying, some of you won't like this, it is a Tesla Cybertruck. Come on. Come. All the country boys are like, I will not go to a church where the pastor drives a Tesla. Forget about it, pal. Not ha- no, let me tell you something. This Tesla Cybertruck, hang with me for a minute. It has bulletproof windows. It is a body wrapped in steel that you cannot dent. Elon hit it with a sledgehammer. It didn't even make a dent in the side of the thing. It is zero to 60 like a sports car. And here may be the greatest thing. This thing, is Drew Frisch in here? Let me just see a quick wave from Drew. This may be even better. This is the greatest thing that you can see. Are you following me, Drew? This thing nearly pulled an F-150 off the road. Come on, what are y'all, Ford fans? Y'all work for Ford in here or what? You've been hearing me make fun of Ford for years. Let me show, do you guys have the video? Jan, just play it in case they don't believe. Oh, yes, here we go. Line, look at that cyber truck, right? Watch, here it goes. And the F-150, go! see you later, pal. I mean, I know it is an F-150 and all. It wouldn't have pulled a ram like that, I promise you that. <laughs> oh, man. No, I'm kidding. I, I really, honestly, I just wanted you to see that video. I mean, that would be a really cool truck, right? And it did kind of manhandle an F-150, which is always awesome, right? But... What you saw there, that tension when that band began to pull, the Greek word for worry is a word that means to be pulled in opposite directions. So when you start worrying, you're not worrying as one vehicle headed this way or one vehicle headed this way. When you're in worry, you're the band in the center. You're the one being ripped apart. You're the one being pulled apart. When he says, can any of your worries, any of the things that are pulling you apart, they're tearing your heart apart, they're tearing your mind apart, can any of those things add a day to your life? He says, I tell you not to let things pull you apart with your everyday life. And then he rolls in and he gives us three illustrations that I love. We'll, we'll start with Matthew 6, verse 25. He says, this is why I tell you not to be pulled apart by everyday life. Whether you have enough food and drink or enough clothes to wear, isn't life more? He says it twice, circle the word. Isn't life more than food and your body more than clothing? That's a Greek word, play on. It means more in value, more in significance. Some of your Bible translations may say significantly more. In other words, he is saying your life is not just more than food and clothing. It is significantly more and not just more in quantity, but more in depth and more in value. Your life is so much more than what you wear, what you drink, and what you eat. Contextually, we need to grasp what he's talking about here because it gives you a better imagery, right? In this day and age, to have a regular, really good meal and purified water was only for the rich. 
It was only for the luxury. It was only for the luxurious. It was only for kings and queens and palaces. So when he says, don't worry about what you will eat or what you will drink, he is figuratively giving an image of royalty. When he says, don't worry about the clothes that you put on, again, that is an image. Royalty only wore purple. You can read this about Solomon. He imported his clothes in from the finest places all over. He imported food in. If you were rich, if you were royal, if you had status, you had food in plenty and you showed it off. You had drink in plenty and you showed it off and you wore the finest clothes. So it's not just talking literally, but it is saying figuratively. That person that you follow on Instagram that has 100,000 followers and posts what they wear, what they eat, and what they drink, worrying about becoming that is the shallowest place you can be in your life. Worrying about, stressing your life about, driving yourself crazy to achieve that, to become that, to have that level of influence, he is saying, is the shallowest place you can be. Both in value and in quantity, your life is worth far more. It is worth far more than status. It is worth far more than being known. It is worth far more than likes and follows and everything else. He is saying if it revolves around just trying to be somebody that has more worldly attention than you, you have reached the shallowest depth of value. I'll tell you an embarrassing story. I really didn't want to tell this, but um, it's just, man, when there's a sermon illustration and it connects, very few things are off, off guard in my household. Anna's like, whoa, what is he doing right now? It's about me, not you. It's me, not you. Don't worry. Um, I, when I was a kid, I was 16 years old, uh, the, the popular clothing brand was Abercrombie & Fitch. You know, the, the brand that looked like people had already worn it all and tore it all up, and then you bought it and paid a lot of money for it. It was just crazy, right? Thinking back on it, I was just out of my mind. But I really wanted this white button-up Abercrombie and Fitch shirt, but I had no money. I was broke, and the shirt was like 60 or 70 bucks. And I mean, that was like three paychecks for me. I was, there's no way I was going to be able to get that. So I actually found a shirt that looked a lot like it, and it was on sale at another store. And it was like $15. So I bought this shirt, and I brought it home, and I had this really old, tattered, hand-me-down Abercrombie shirt, and it had a tag on it, and it had this patch on it. And I asked my mom to take the patch off of the old shirt and sew it onto this white button-down so I could look like I was wearing wearing a button-down white Abercrombie and Fitch shirt, right? And so she did it. And I tell you, I wore this thing four or five days a week, and I thought I was so cool because it had the patch on it, and it had the tag on it, and I was, I was acting like I had this status. But in my heart, I knew it was fake. I knew it wasn't real. Thinking about that, you're hearing that like, wow, how low can you go, man? That's about, that's about as low as it possibly gets. Yet that's what Jesus is saying, how shallow it is if we're so wrapped up in food, drink, and clothing. In other words, if we're so wrapped up in prominence. If we're so wrapped up in popularity. If we're so wrapped up in, if, if your greatest identity statement is the tags on your clothes, you are about as shallow as it can get. Grab a shovel and start digging. That's, what, that's not me hammering on you, right? That's, that's Jesus making it very clear. 
There is more to your life. Wear great clothes if you want to. Do, do whatever you want to do. But don't let that be the sum total of your value in life. Because your value is so much more in quantity and in value. He says it twice. Is life not more than food and your body more than clothing? Stop worrying about status. Stop worrying about being cool. Stop worrying about being popular. Stop worrying about what the neighbors think about what you drive. Stop worrying about the neighborhood that you live in. Stop worrying about who you're featured with in pictures on Instagram and Facebook. Stop worrying what people comment. Stop worrying. It's not, it's not the value of your life. Your life is worth so much more. And then he goes, Matthew 6, verse 26. My favorite part of this whole season, look at the birds of the air. They don't plant or harvest or store food in barns, for your heavenly Father feeds them. And aren't you far more valuable to him than they are? Look at the birds. I, I, I'm going I'm to give you a really cool illustration. Um, my grandma who's been in town for a couple of weeks, she's 91, uh, she's going to love this story if she's still awake. Last week, I know, she was watching church online, and I mentioned her in a sermon, right? And my mom was with her, and she said, hey, did you hear Luke's talking about you? And she looked over at her, and my grandma was passed out asleep during my message. She woke up in the middle of it, and she said, does Luke ever preach in series if the birds are eating, we happened to kick one off that week, Grandma. I love her so much. She's so awesome. She will scold me tonight for this little rant right here. Nonetheless, let me, let me tell you why we're so close. I, I mean, she nearly raised me when I was a kid. I was over at their house all the time. In fact, she did say, she told my son, I raised your daddy when he was a boy. Um, love my grandma. And one of the things that was a staple at my grandma's house was a hummingbird feeder and a bird feeder. They were always there and they were always in view. And now I was a kid who wanted a gun at a very early age. I am not the child that you trust with a gun at a very early age. So my grandpa, he was a craftsman. He made me this rubber band gun. He t I mean, and he was an incredible craftsman. He cut, I had a sawed-off shotgun. I had a rifle. I had all these rubber band guns with the notches in the end. And he'd glue the, the clothespin hangers to the very back. And I'd run around. I'd pop and everything. But I soon graduated to a place where I wanted a little more firepower. I was like, I want a gun, and I want a gun now. I'm seven years old. You know? Give me a gun right now. And he was like, okay. So we went down to his shop, and he made me a slingshot. Now we're talking. Got a little more crack in the game now. So I went out, I found some pebbles, and I remember I had the pebbles like David. I was running out of pebbles, I had a slingshot, I just didn't have a target until this little hummingbird came up to this red juice thing and it was taunting me. No, 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 don't you? Ah, 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 this thing was calling me out. It was taunting me. You gonna fly in front of a seven year old with a slingshot and flap your arms as fast as you can? Okay. We're going to find out. So I remember I pulled this rock back and I let it go. And that little bird was just, it just went right around the, right around the rock. I mean, it was so fast. 
made me so mad. I was like, oh, you want another one, huh? And by the time I pull this back, and I will never forget this, as long as I live, I can close my eyes and picture it in my mind. They had this old screened-in porch, and there was a metal door that connected the house. There was a little laundry, or there was a little, little mudroom right there, and then there was the dining room right inside there. And I remember hearing that metal door clang against it like it had been thrown open, and I thought, let it go quick, let it go quick. And my grandma swings open the, the screened-in porch, and she points this little old crooked finger at me, and she said, Luke? Cunningham, don't you dare shoot my hummingbirds. Now, listen, grandma was a little crazier than grandpa, right? She had a little more fire to her than my grandpa did. And so I was like, okay, fine. And I was like, but they, but they look like such a good target. I just wondered if they tasted good. You know, like I just wanted to kill. And, and she said, those birds are for watching. Those birds are for watching. We want to watch them. And when I think back to my grandparents' house, there was an old two-seat sliding glider on that screened-in porch. And my grandpa and I would sit there, and he would clean his fingernails with a pocket knife and watch the birds. You say, wow, look at that. Isn't that cool? Just, just flying around there. Their dining table or their, their kitchen table, they had a little kitchen table there. And there was a book that sat on top of it and had all the different kinds of birds in it. And it had a pair of binocular, binoculars sitting right by it. And they would sit there. They would drink coffee. They'd look in the binoculars and they would look at those birds. And now my grandpa is gone He's in heaven. They've sold the farm. I don't know where the hummingbird feeder is. But when I see hummingbirds, it is an emblem in my mind that takes me back to those moments. Are you ready for something really cool in Scripture? The Greek word for look at the birds is the Greek word emblepo. It's where we get the English emblem from. Jesus is saying those birds should be an emblem for you. Those birds should be a patch that you sew on your arm, you sew on your chest, you put on your backpack, and every time you look at those birds, it should take your spirit to a place of provision. It should take your spirit to a place of peace. It should take your spirit to a place of hope. It should rid you of all worry. It should rid you of all fear. They should be an emblem. Emblepo the birds. Put it on you and wear it. You'll never look at birds the same again. I'll walk out here and I'll see those birds. And they're an emblem of the goodness and provision of God. They're an emblem that I'll never forget that I know God's going to take care of me, that he's going to provide for me. How many of y'all are going to go buy a hummingbird feeder after this, right? I will have that emblem around me, on me. I will know beyond a shadow of a doubt when I see the birds flying. How did Noah know the land was ready? Because of the bird. The bird was the sign that God was ready for them to come back. I will never forget those birds. And the emblem that it is. We look at the birds and they're a symbol to us. You need a good reminder that God's on your side? Go find some birds. You need a good reminder that God's going to provide for you? Go find some birds. Go find something and it will remind you. It's an emblem for you. And then Matthew 6 verse 27. The question we wrap up with. Just, just process this for a minute. Can all your worries add a single moment to your life? Everything that has been pulling you apart. Is it giving you more time? Is it adding moments 
seconds, days, hours? Can any of your worries add a single moment to your life? There's a guy who wrote a book. His name's Trevor Moad. He's Russell Wilson's uh, mental coach. He coaches Russell mentally. The book is It, it Takes What It Takes. And uh, he, he wrote the book. And in, in the book, he was talking about worry. And he shared a true story of a man who was driving a refrigeration truck. And as he was driving the refrigeration truck, he started noticing some mechanical problems. And so he pulled the truck over, and he went to look over the truck, and then he went into the back of the truck, and a gust of wind came, and it shut the door, and it sealed it behind him as he was in the refrigeration part of the truck, and he was stuck inside of there. And he grabbed his phone, and he instantly started trying to call and text people, but the double insulation of the entire truck kept him from getting a signal, and he was texting, I'm going to freeze to death. If somebody does not come and help me, somebody help me now. I don't want to freeze to death. Somebody help me. I'm getting colder. My body's getting colder. And unfortunately, none of the messages went through. And four hours later, as dispatch realized that the truck was still offline, they showed up and the man was found dead inside. And when they took him out of the truck, they recognized something that was crazy on the autopsy report. As they began to investigate the situation, they realized that the problem with the truck, the mechanical problem that caused him to get out, was that the refrigeration unit had went out. He was found in there, and it was 62 degrees inside of that truck. And they said despite all of his texts that he was freezing to death, he didn't die from freezing to death. He had died from worrying about freezing to death. His cause of death was worry. And they said he died worrying about something that had no chance of taking his life. Can any of your worries add a moment to your life? Are you worrying about something right now that is just tearing you apart and it's doing nothing for your spirit and it's not enlonging your life? God is saying to you, stop worrying. Stop worrying. Look at the birds of the air. Everybody, thanks again for joining us. We believe God has something great for your life, and we hope this message encourages you to take the next step in your faith.